1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hoped in Christ, We are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Amen. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him that God may be all in all. The title of the message this morning Dear brothers and sisters, is your faith is not futile. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, how we thank you so much for your glorious word. 
And we thank you this morning that our faith is not futile, Lord, but you have indeed been raised from the dead, Lord Jesus. And we are so thankful that we serve a risen Lord. And I pray, Almighty God, that our faith would be strengthened this morning as we look at your word and the hope of the resurrection would flood into our hearts and bring comfort to all who hear your word this morning. As Josh mentioned in worship this morning, Lord, the truth of your resurrection stands. And Lord, no matter where we are at this morning, no matter how we're coming into the service this morning, whether encouraged or discouraged, whether uplifted or downcast, the good news is for those of us who by your grace believe, we are in Christ. And Christ has been raised. And nothing can ever separate us from your love. We're so grateful for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The three points I have this morning um, are, your faith is not futile. Your faith is not futile. Secondly, you are not still in your sins. You are not still in your sins. And thirdly, Christ has been raised. Christ has been raised. I pray that these three statements of truth would uplift your heart this morning from the Scriptures. In 1 Corinthians 15 here, we have a context where there were some who were beginning to mislead the church of God in Corinth, who were saying that there is no resurrection of the dead, and there were some who were stumbling over this false statement. And Paul here goes right at it and uses the glorious truth of the resurrection of Christ from the dead to prove not only that he's been raised, but also that we as believers in Christ will also be raised from the dead at the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is the first fruits, the first one who was raised. But we likewise, brothers and sisters, it's good news this morning to know that death is not the end for the believer. We will die never to die again. But we will in fact be raised because by the grace of God we've been born again. And the truth that the Apostle Paul goes into here in verse 17. He says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. He's, he's talking about an argument that if what those who were sowing the error into the church, if what they say is in fact true, then our faith is futile. There's, it talks here about how everything hinges on the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Our faith hangs on this. It's true that as he says earlier in verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. All of this is in vain if Christ has not been raised from the dead. He also says, not only is our preaching in vain, your faith is in vain if Christ has not been raised from the dead. But the good news, brothers and sisters, is... Your faith is not futile. Christ has been raised. He is risen from the dead and your faith is not futile. That phrase, your faith, 
it, it talks here about futility and whether or not faith is futile. That word futile is talking about pointless. You're, it's pointless because your faith, if Christ was not raised, it won't deliver you. That's what futility is talking about. It has no power, no real power, and no real hope at all. It's not really going to do anything for you if it's futile. But the good news, brothers and sisters, is that our faith is not futile. It is not pointless. And it will deliver us. And it really does do something. It's the old story in the history of Niagara Falls of a man who was being swept down the current above the falls toward his destruction, going over the falls. And he was calling out for help, and there were a number of individuals who were downstream awaiting him, who who threw him a long lifeline out into the water, and this man grabbed hold of the lifeline. And that at a critical moment, he was really panicking. It was a desperate situation, but... He was panicking in the midst of the situation. And all of a sudden, there was a, a, a huge bit of driftwood that was larger, looked more secure in a passing moment than the flimsy lifeline that he was holding on. And as the story goes, this man in a moment just let go of the lifeline and grabbed onto this piece of driftwood, which was massive, but was not connected to the shore. It kept his head above water for a little while. But then, having not been anchored to the shore, the man ended up going over the falls and perished. Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you to lay hold of Christ this morning and not anything else. Anything else that we would place our faith in, that we would lay hold of in the midst of the fast-moving current of this world, immersed in our sin, cannot deliver us from the judgment to come of the falls that await everyone on judgment day if they do not believe in Jesus Christ is the lifeline. He is the one to lay hold of with your faith. And anything else we lay hold of would be futile. Everything else that mankind all over the earth believes in that is not Jesus Christ risen from the dead is futile. It's pointless. It won't deliver them. It won't really do anything for them. But brothers and sisters, your faith, by the grace of God, when you believe in Christ, you are born again to a living hope, the Word of God says. And the opposite of futility is the case. You become what Scripture calls an overcomer. 1 John 
chapter 5, verse 4, you may remember this scripture. As I was studying this passage, this came to mind. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Isn't that so rich? Verse 5, And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. The NIV, I believe, says, even our faith. In, in closing, verse 5 of 1 John 5 says, Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? I want to urge and plead with all of us to, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ with all of our heart and to lay hold of Him with our faith this morning. He is indeed the lifeline anchored, and, and that is, in fact, our salvation. The world clinging to all of its driftwood, passing by. Brothers and sisters, it will not avail them. It will not save them. They will be sucked over to the falls, to their eternal destruction. But we will live because Christ lives. We are, as Romans 8 talks about, we are more than conquerors. Revelation 2, verse 11, says that the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. The ESV Study Bible, talking about the word conquering, says it's speaking here of believers who hold to their testimony. They hold fast to the truth, even as in 1 Corinthians 15 says in verse 2, by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you. There is a call for us to hold fast to Christ, to hold fast to the truth of God's Word, to hold fast to the truth that Jesus is the Son of God, to hold fast that He has in fact been raised. And brothers and sisters, in holding fast to Christ, we know that the opposite of futility, we are Save. Look at 15, 1 through 3. I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. There's a call here to cling to Christ and to cling to Him desperately and not to let go of Him, to cling to the driftwood of this world and all of the vain things that mankind clings to, the false gods that mankind clings to, that is the faith that is futile. That is the faith that is pointless. But the faith in Jesus Christ that you have, dear brothers and sisters, it is not pointless. Because Christ has in fact been raised from the dead. I love verse 20. Look at the way the Word of God says, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And we're going to get to that more in the third point, but I love the fact that it drives home that our faith in Christ is indeed not futile at all. And why will the second death not hurt 
us who believe well, brothers and sisters, because on Good Friday, Christ suffered the punishment that we deserve as believers. He suffered it fully in our place. The second death or the wrath of God that we deserve eternally in hell for our sins. is a just punishment that we deserve. But the good news of God's grace is that Jesus the Son suffered it in our place. And as Ben mentioned so wonderfully at the Good Friday service a couple days ago, the Lord, according to Zechariah 3, removed our iniquity in a single day. Oh, Ben, thank you so much for that word on Friday. Reminding us of the sacrifice for sin that Christ suffered for us. We will not suffer the second death. That is the opposite of futility. That is something that has really taken place because of the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. Christ has indeed saved us. And nothing can change that fact. Point two. You are not still in your sins. You are not still in your sins. Again, verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. These realities here, if Christ has not been raised, drive home in our heart just the absolute desperate place we would be in had Christ not died and had been raised from the dead. We would be in our sins we would be awaiting the second death. But brothers and sisters, that is not the case for the true believer in Jesus Christ. In John 8, verse 24, Jesus speaking to the Pharisees said this, listen carefully, I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe, Jesus said, unless you believe that I am He, I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. Unless you believe in me, you will die in your sins. There's no pure vestments to cover an individual who rejects Christ And instead of laying hold of him by faith, grabs on to a piece of passing driftwood in the current. There is no pure vestments to stand before the holiness of God on the day of judgment. As Ben talked about from Zechariah 3, that pure vestments speaking of the, the justification that we as believers in Christ receive because Christ was raised from the dead. As Romans 4.25 talks about, He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. I love the way the doctrine of the resurrection of Christ from the dead is linked with our justification. It's a description of how the Father has accepted the Son's sacrifice on our behalf and has chosen to credit Christ's righteousness to us so that we are clothed in pure vestments. 
in the book of Revelation, we are clothed in white, perfectly pure garments that have been given to us as a gift of grace. What a glorious description of heaven. And I'm so thankful for Josh leading us to ponder the effects of the resurrection from the dead are not just in this life, but they cause us to look forward to the day when we will see Christ with new eyes, resurrected eyes, face to face so that we can take in the glory. And we will be covered with the pure vestments of the righteousness of Christ. But for those who die in their sins, there's no atonement. They are covered in their iniquity. They're covered in filth, like Ben mentioned Friday evening. They are covered in a stain that cannot be washed away with anything other than the blood of Jesus Christ. So anything that unbelievers put their hope in to save them before the holiness of God and their filth is in vain. We were talking this past week in fellowship and just talking about an individual who, upon hearing the gospel, was was just talking about how, hey, you know, listen, I, I think that my good deeds really outweigh my bad, and God's going to take into account that my good deeds sort of outweigh my bad, and, and He'll accept me on the final day. Unbelievers are putting their hope in their good deeds. They're not putting their hope in Christ's resurrection from the dead. They're putting their hope that they're going to stand on the final day by what they've done rather than what Christ has done for them as a finished work. And what is your hope in today, my friend? Is your hope in Christ alone as we sing? Or is your hope deep down, yeah, you know, I'm I'm a pretty good person and I'm going to make it. Friend, we are not good enough, none of us, to make it. There are none righteous, no, not even one. We are covered in iniquity. We are covered in the stain of our sin. And we need pure vestments. We need atonement for our sins, which only the cross of Christ provides. Without that atonement and without those pure vestments, Jesus says you will die in your sin. And here, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, clinging from that language in John chapter 8, says in verse 17, your faith is futile and and you are still in your sins if Christ wasn't raised. So it's so important for us to understand that everything hangs on the doctrine of the resurrection of Christ from the dead. We must believe that He has been raised, that He is alive. There are many today who will challenge Christians and say, hey, listen, can't you just be you know, a believer without believing in the supernatural doctrine that Christ was raised from the dead? Isn't it enough to just say, hey, Jesus was a good prophet and a good man and that He died and what a, what a wonderful sacrifice there? No, brothers and sisters, it's not enough simply to believe those things, we must believe that Christ, in fact, has been raised. And I love the way it says in 1 Corinthians 15, the word fact, in fact. And Ben touched on this on Friday. Our faith is not a blind faith. Our faith is based in fact. Oh, let that sink in. 
And in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-6, you see the Apostle Paul, he anchors the truth of the resurrection into 500 eyewitnesses who saw Christ post-resurrection from the grave at one time. I remember the story of my mother-in-law, Debbie, who was a long time not a believer, but was in our church, in the beginning of our church plant, and was here every Sunday. And she would talk about how, yeah, I'm not a Christian yet, but, but you know, she just loved being in the church and loved being here. And so we gave her the book, How Can I Be Sure I'm a Christian? Because we wanted her to cross over from death to life so desperately. We knew that unless she believed in Christ personally for herself, that she could not be saved. And so we, we gave her the book, How Can I Be Sure I'm a Christian? And there's a story in How Can I Be Sure I'm a Christian? I've, I've said this to some of you, but I love this story. I wanted to share it with you all. Where it talks about faith in Christ. And someone... <laughs> was lost and Donald Whitney was reaching out to them with the gospel and they were struggling with not being able to believe. And Donald Whitney said to them, hey, do you believe in George Washington? And the individual said, oh yeah, of course I believe in George Washington. Well, why do you believe in George Washington? You've never seen him, have you? You never touched him with your hands? How do you know for sure that George Washington ever existed? Or that what he did, he did. Well, the history books tell us that. And Whitney said, that is exactly the way we know that Jesus died on the cross, that he really existed, and that he really rose from the dead because of the eyewitness accounts. It is in fact that Christ has been raised from the dead. You go to his tomb today, there's nothing in there. (laughs) There's evidence And yes, indeed, at the end of it all, we still must believe it and believe it in faith. But it's not a blind faith, brothers and sisters. And this is meant to encourage our hearts this morning that when you lay hold of Jesus Christ, far from your faith being futile and far from you still being in your sins. No, it's effectual to take you out of your sins and to remove your iniquity away from you. The sacrifice of Christ on the cross is. And brothers and sisters, 500 eyewitnesses saw Jesus risen from the dead at the same time. And when my mother-in-law, Debbie, read that description of, yeah, you believe in Jesus the same way you believe in George Washington. Historical fact backs up everything that took place, and it's written in the history books. It overcame the obstacles for her, and she just said that a light bulb went on. Regeneration. And you can never be a believer by merely mentally assenting to a truth, like the truth that Jesus is raised from the dead is a historical fact. We must be raised to new life spiritually, born again by the Spirit of God. We need to have the light bulb go on. It's not just a mental exercise. We need to say, Christ, I repent of my sins and I trust in you. And you know what? I believe in you. And every obstacle that's been hindering me, from following you and laying down my life for you. I believe in you. I believe in your finished work on the cross. I believe in your resurrection from the dead. I believe, Jesus, that you are the Son of God who gave yourself for me. Light bulb. Saved. Brothers and sisters, for those of you who have trusted in Christ, your story, like my mother-in-law Debbie's, is a miracle. Flesh and blood did not reveal these things to us. But the Spirit of God raised us from 
spiritual death to spiritual life. And I've got good news for you. You are not still in your sins. You know what you are? You are in Christ when you believe in him. You are united together with Jesus Christ through faith. And when he died, your old life died with you. You are a new creation in Christ, brother. You're a new creation in Christ, sister. When he was buried, you were united to Christ in his burial. And it carried your sins as far away from you as the east is from the west. Never to be seen anymore. Your sins were buried with Christ. It's gone And the good news of the resurrection from the dead is that you are united together with Christ also in His resurrection. You are alive. You have been born again and you are awaiting the real bodily resurrection that you will receive, believer, when Jesus Christ returns, as we sung about this morning. And what a glorious day that's going to be. You will be raised just as Christ was raised this glorious morning as we remember. I always love Resurrection Sunday morning very early, don't you? I always think of Mary going down toward the tomb and finding it empty. <laughs> you got a gardener walking around, you got Mary wondering what's happening, and then you got Jesus appearing to Mary. Oh, what a glorious moment. And then later on, you got Peter running full speed down to the empty tomb. They were bewildered. They had lost hope. They were in despair. And they run down and find that indeed what Mary reported was true. He is not here. He's alive. He's walking around. He's not laying down here. Good, good news. Happy day. It is in fact, brothers and sisters, that Christ was raised from the dead. Amen? Amen. You are no longer in your sins. You have been forgiven of your sins, and all iniquity has been atoned for if you're a Christian. You have been clothed with the pure vestments of God the Father's justification of you through Christ's resurrection. You are no longer covered in filth, but your sins that were like scarlet have been washed whiter than snow. Oh, drink that in deep, my friend. It is a reality. And as Josh mentioned this morning, it doesn't matter how you feel, how discouraged you are, or encouraged you are. It's a fact. And fact doesn't change with our feelings. The truth is over our life, whether we're up or whether we're down. And that's great news this morning on this happy day as we're reminded that On our third point, Christ has been raised. Taking this from verse 17 again, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. All of our church attendance, all of the preaching, all of our clinging to Christ If it's only for this life and there is no heaven, there is no resurrection from the dead, that's not something that's honorable, Paul says. That's to be pitied. But the good news is, is that it's real. And that it's true. And brothers and sisters, 
In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Verse 20. What this means is that the Father accepted the finished work of Christ on our behalf with an exclamation point. You don't get more bold than to raise your own son up from the dead to say, yes, indeed. I accept. When he cried out, it is finished. It is indeed finished. Exclamation point. Brothers and sisters, he's raised. He's alive. Romans 8.34, it's interesting in that more than conquerors passage. In Romans 8.34, the word of God says, Christ Jesus is the one who died. And then I love this. More than that, who was raised. It's important for us as believers to remember this. He's no longer hanging up there on the cross. He's alive. He was raised. He's the one who died, but more than that, he was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. What this is talking about, brothers and sisters, in Romans 8.34, and again here, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, is that he is a living, breathing, interceding, reigning, resurrected Lord, that we are awaiting to come back any day. You are not worshiping a dead Savior, but a living Savior. And every other leader of every other false religion that has ever existed, their bones can be found. Their graves are found with contents in them. But with our faith as Christians, Christ, we know of Him as in Psalm 16 it says, you will not abandon Him in the grave. He will not see corruption. His body will not see corruption. It's a prophecy in Psalm 16 that talks about that God the Father is not going to allow His Son to see decay in the grave. He's going to raise Him up on the third day is also prophesied in the Old Testament as well. And what this is speaking to again is that He is a living, breathing, interceding, reigning Savior and Lord who is going to come back indeed and bring His church home to heaven. I'm really affected uh, by the story of Beauty and the Beast. I went and saw the movie with my beauty, my Shannon, recently. And I'm not too sure about how many 43-year-old men can be found bawling their eyes out (laughs) in the midst of Beauty and the Beast, but... There I was, sitting next to Shannon, my beauty, doing so. And I'm sure it had something to do, certainly, with just being next to Shannon. And I'm so glad, so thankful that God has brought her into my life as my wife. She is such a blessing to me. And I'm sure the tears also had a little something to do with my three little beauties right here in the front row. 
and thinking of them during the movie, praying for them during the movie. But what affects me so much about whenever I see either the animated version from 1991 or even the current movie is I love the depiction at the end when the curse is broken. The curse and its weight over the beast and over the land is broken. And the beast is born again, if you will. Transformed into a new man, better than he was before the curse came upon him. In fact, you're going to love this. In the 1991 animated movie, which is just awesome. The Disney animator, Glenn Keane, who was a Christian, now with the Lord, had the opportunity to animate the scene where the beast was transformed into that new man. And he took that charge of animation as almost like a holy calling to do that and to do it well. Glenn Keane internalized the beast's transformation on a spiritual level, placing the quote, someone said, he placed the quote, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. From 2 Corinthians 5.17, on one of his palettes as a token of inspiration as he was doing his work on the transformation of the beast being transformed or born again. The beast's physical transformation, it was said, was important to him. But the inward change was what really mattered. And he was seeking to capture in a beautiful piece of animation, the, not just the outward transformation, but the inward transformation that the breaking of the curse accomplished over the beast. I love that. And next time, you got to go get the 1991 version and watch it. Just watch it and just... Take delight. It's one of my favorite pieces of animation in any movie, and still is to this day, even without all the technology of the post 2000s years. Christ being raised from the dead, brothers and sisters, broke the curse. The curse was broken because the curse has been born. The, cr- the curse was broken because Christ bore the curse on the cross, and He was in fact raised. He redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Galatians 3.13 says, And what I love is that not only are individuals redeemed, but what I love in the animated version, what I love in the movie that's out now, is that when the curse is broken, it lifts off of not only the beast, but all of creation all around him. And the the, the dark castle is transformed into a colorful, glorious delight that shines, that radiates, and the surrounding countryside goes from being under darkness to shining in radiant light. It's a picture, brothers and sisters, of redemption. It's a picture of freedom. It's a picture of deliverance out from the fall that comes upon every true believer. And also comes upon 
creation, which at this current time is groaning under the weight of all the sin and the fall and all of this miserableness that comes from being in this present world, not yet having been fully redeemed and recreated as it will be when Christ returns in glorious power and might. Oh, brothers and sisters, there's hope for everybody in this room. But true Christian, I have hope for you this morning. It's true that the word of God in John 3 says you must be born again. You must have that inward transformation by the power of the Spirit happen to you that flows out from Christ and trusting that he's been raised from the dead. And if you are a believer, you are born again. You, like me, brothers and sisters, I was a monstrosity of iniquity and darkness and sin. And though outward form might not have shown it like the the vision of the beast and beauty and the beast. Inwardly, I was full of dead men's bones, full of hypocrisy, full of darkness, full of sin. But Christ came and rescued me and the Holy Spirit caused me to be born again to a living hope. And now I've been brought and you have been brought believer from spiritual death awaiting the second death with no hope and without God in the world. As Ephesians 2 says, you have been brought from death to life. And no one can take that away from you. And you will not die in your sin, but in Christ. You will die in Christ. I will die in Christ. And then you will never die again. There's the old expression that if you're born only once, you die twice. The first death and the second death in hell. But if you're born twice, then you die only once. You're born again, and then you die. But then you die, never to die again. But rather, you are raised, and you will enjoy eternity face to face with Christ in the new heavens and new earth where righteousness dwells. And you will see, believer, and you will experience the redemption of all of creation into the new heavens and new earth. You will experience forever living in a glorified, new, resurrected body, transformed into such brilliance and into such power that you will never suffer again. You will never cry again. Because the old order of things will have passed away. All because Christ died and was raised and is coming again. He's a living Savior, brothers and sisters. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of everything that we can give to Him. Friends, take heart this morning. Christ has been raised. You are not still in your sins. And your faith is not futile. It is not pointless. It is not in vain. But it is what has caused you to overcome the world. And it's all by the grace of God. And you are awaiting your hope. Seeing Christ face to face with a certainty, all because Christ
has been raised. If I can have the worship and return, I'm going to close this in prayer. And then we're going to stand and sing. Let us all stand. Lord, we thank you so much for the power of the cross. We thank you for the power involved with your resurrection from the grave. The curse has been broken. We are no longer in our sin. And our faith is not futile. It's not in vain. But oh Lord, this is the victory that has overcome the world. Even our faith. And Lord, that is only by the grace of God, but our faith, by your grace, has laid hold of the only lifeline anchored to shore. And we have been rescued from being sucked over the falls by a resurrected, living Lord. And we want to praise you for saving us from the wrath to come. We want to praise you that you've saved us to enjoy in eternity, in heaven, in the new heavens and in new earth. Lord God, to see you face to face, to enjoy paradise forever with you. Oh Lord, we can endure for a short while on this earth the troubles that we experience here still under the fall because we know that the curse has been broken. And we know, Lord, that you are going to recreate on that final day. You will bring all things into subjection under you so that you, God, might be all in all. And we will see you face to face. And we will enjoy you in heaven forever. You are worthy of our worship. You are worthy of our faith. You are worthy of our praise. And we give it to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you, church.